Bibles, turn with me to uh, the book of Matthew. We finished up Ephesians last week, and uh, I wanted to focus in on a very important um, a block of Scripture that is in Matthew chapter 6. It comes from what we call the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus is talking to people who want to be his followers. And um, this, this message, and really this entire Sermon on the Mount, is meant for people who are serious about their faith. They're serious about serving God and bringing their lives into alignment with His will under His grace and His blessing. And so Jesus is saying here, if you want to be followers of mine, then your lives need to look like this. And so he goes through all of these principles, and we're going to land in chapter 6, verse 19, where he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now we understand, we, we are living in a materialistic world, which means that we all need certain material things to survive. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing evil about having or needing material things. We need homes, we need clothes, we need cars, we need food, etc. But we must, we must make sure that in owning those things, that those things do not take ownership of us. Amen? That our need for the things of this life does not become greed for the things of this life. Yes? So Jesus lays out some principles to ensure that, um, that in a world which worships money and possessions, that He remains first in our lives. Right? That, it, that in, this, in this world where we need material things to survive, that those material things do not become our idols or our gods, and that He always has first place in, in our lives, right? And so He begins addressing this by explaining two concepts that we really need to understand. The first concept, um, it's this concept of treasures in heaven, or treasures on earth. Treasures on earth. And He says there in verse 19, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. So this is all about, what he's addressing here is the accumulation of things in this life. Acquiring and stockpiling more and more stuff and more and more money. Holding on to our treasures and our wealth for the sole purpose of our own indulgence and our own comfort in the here and now. It's a warning against having a materialistic mentality. Okay, So we can live in a material world, but not have a materialistic mentality. Jesus warns that a materialistic mentality causes moths 
and rust and thieves to enter our lives. Now think about it. Moths are bugs that consume. And this, I think, refers to some of those unforeseen factors that come unexpectedly into our lives and eat away at our assets, all those things that we are accumulating for our comfort and our indulgence. Rust is a corrosive agent. It's, a, a, it's something that deteriorates what exists, right? And, and I think this refers to those unfavorable conditions in our environment, in our world that are constantly working against our success, any success that we've achieved, that there are constantly things that, that are causing a deterioration of that. And then the thieves, of course, are the people around us who, who oppose us or, or defraud us or take from us what we think is ours. And he's saying that if our priority is storing up wealth and resources in the here and now of this world, then there will be forces that will come in and will consume and deplete and take those resources from us. He's saying, as kingdom-minded people, what we really need to do with our wealth is not stockpile it for ourselves, but use it for kingdom purposes to make an eternal investment for our eternal lives. That brings us to the next concept that Jesus describes here, treasures in heaven. Treasures in earth, in earth, treasures in heaven. He's making a distinction between the temporary earthly things that we tend to focus on here that are they're here today and they're gone tomorrow because of the moths and the rust and the, and the thieves and eternal lasting things that stay with us forever in eternity. In other words, Jesus is saying there's a way to make investments now in this life that translate into treasures in heaven. Are you hearing this? This is what Jesus is teaching those who want to be followers of him, that our focus should not be on the material gains of this world and our comforts in this world and our indulgences in this world, but instead we need to be eternally minded people that have an eternal focus, right? Amen? How many have ever heard that statement, you can't take it with you, right? It's true. You've also heard that saying, I've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul, right? I mean, you can take it all with you and bury it with you, but it's going to stay in the hole. It's not going with you, right? You came into this world naked, and you're leaving this world naked, right? But you can, Jesus says, store things in heaven ahead of time. You can, by your actions in this life, accumulate treasures in heaven. Isn't that good news? To know that this life is not all that there is, right? So Jesus is trying a paradigm shift here. He's saying, you people are too focused on the here and now. You're too focused on accumulating and stockpiling and acquiring things for the here and now. He says, you need to realize that there's an eternity beyond the few years that you have here in this life, right? So how do we lay up treasures in heaven? Verse 20 says that it's a place where neither Moth nor rust destroys, and thieves do not break in and, and steal. Okay? A couple of principles here. Number one, use what God has given you now 
to invest in causes that impact people for eternity. Use what God has given you now to invest in causes that impact people for eternity. When you give to the church, when you give to missionaries, when you give to kingdom-based, gospel-oriented ministries that further the gospel in this world, and by doing so, you make an eternal difference in people's lives, you are laying up treasures in heaven. That's what Jesus is saying. When you help us support pastors in Cuba who are living below poverty line, when you help us build a church in Uruguay, when you support our church in our community, when you pledge to Vision Sunday to increase our ministry footprint, when you have a kingdom mindset about your earthly goods and use them in a way that glorifies God to affect the eternal lives of people, then you are making an eternal difference and laying up treasures in heaven. Does everybody get that? That's what Jesus is talking about here, right? And then verse 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Second principle, use your wealth to demonstrate that God is first in your life. Read that again. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, It means where you are heavily invested is where your true affection lies. Let's say that again. Where you are heavily invested, that's where your true affection lies. Right? Did I say infection? Your true affection lies. Okay? In other words, the truth about our real passions, our real priorities, what really captures our heart, what we really love is revealed by how we spend our money, by our spending priorities. One of the things that I, I love about Christmas is spending money on my kids and my, and my grandkids. And this is the one, area, one time, one area where I lose a lot of my frugality, right? And it's probably true for many of us because we love our kids. And because we love them, we want to spend our money on them, right? And Pastor Dylan said, yeah. <laughs> That's what Jesus is saying about our materialistic monetary priorities. He says, you can sing all the songs that you want. You can serve in all the ministries that you want. You can say God is good all the time. But what really proves what's in your heart is where you put your treasure. So that's the second principle there, is use your wealth to demonstrate that God is first in your life. Then he says something here. It sounds a little strange kind of in this context, kind of like comes out of nowhere. Verse 22, he says, the lamp of the body is the eye if therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What is this talking about here? Why does Jesus bring up this light of the body? This is all about perspective. It's about the way that you choose to look at things. Which brings us to the third truth here, number three. View your wealth as a means to bring you under God's favor, blessing, and eternal reward. Don't just view your wealth as a way to enlarge your comfort zone and add, add more square footage to, you know, to your indulgences. View your wealth as a means to bring you under God's favor, blessing, and eternal 
reward, right? So here, when Jesus talks about the light, you know, of the body it being the eye, he's referencing an ancient Jewish um, idiom of having a, a good eye or having a, a bad eye. It's kind of like our American idiom, which says, do you see a glass half empty or a glass half full, right? It's, it's, it's the way you're wired to view and perceive things, right? And so, so Jesus, I think, as he was talking about making internal investments, just as I am now, I believe he was perceiving that there were people in the crowd, maybe like there are some in the crowd here today, who, who are saying in their heart, well, here goes the preacher, talking about money again, people rolling their eyes, crossing their arms, getting annoyed, getting defensive, getting an attitude, right? And Jesus is saying this. He's saying, if you're offended by my words, the problem is not in what I'm saying. The problem is in how you are perceiving it. It's in how you are seeing it. You have a bad eye, right? It was it was the Jewish saying in that day. If you're cynical, cynical and you're negative and you think it's the preacher who's got a problem always trying to manipulate and get money out of people, then you know what? You're going to be offended. If, that's, if you're cynical like that, then yeah, you're going to get a critical spirit and a darkness is going, to take, is going to take hold of you, right? And that may be happening to some people here today. And I echo the words of Jesus. If Listen, if, if you're offended by my words, the problem is not in what I'm saying because everything that I'm saying comes right from the Word of God. The problem is in how you have trained yourself to perceive it. You're, you're stuck in this rut where you, you don't want anybody talking to you about money right? And Jesus is saying the problem's not in the truth. The problem is in how you're perceiving it, right? But if you see this truth as it's meant to be, not as a negative, but as a positive, if you can see that really what Jesus is doing and what I'm repeating here today is giving you good truths, giving you spiritual principles on how you can make eternal investments and, and do these, these things that will bring you under God's blessing, right? Then you'll rejoice. You won't get defensive. You'll just be saying, you know what? I know that this life is temporary, and I don't want to get caught up in the worship of materialistic things. I want to have an eternal view on my existence here, and I want to know how I can make internal, eternal investments, right? That's what Jesus is saying, right? He's saying you got to get the right perspective on these things. And then he goes on to say in verse 24, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Fourth principle, use your wealth to demonstrate which master you serve, right? So mammon was an ancient idol of wealth and materialism. And people who pursued the accumulation, you know, heathen people who pursued the accumulation of money and possessions would worship this God of mammon. And Jesus is saying, listen, this truth is crucial because it reveals who your master is in this materialistic world, God or your stuff. You can't, Jesus is saying, you can't have a divided devotion. You can't say, well, God is my God, but he's not the God of my stuff, right? God is my God, but he's not the God of my money, so don't be talking to me about money, okay? Yeah, I'll worship Jesus, right? But stay away from, you know, the bank, the bank account, right? It goes back to that truth, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart 
will be also. The way you invest your wealth reveals where your heart truly is. And then he goes on in verse 25. He gives this exhortation now about worry. He says, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the, gra- clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not worry saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Fifth principle Jesus gives. Do not allow temporal worries to make withdrawals from your eternal investments. Amen? Now, a lot of us today are worried about our investments. We've been We've been looking at our portfolios and seeing how they've been shrinking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? How many have not been looking at their portfolios intentionally because you don't want to be depressed, right? (laughs) Don't want to worry about it, right? Right? But that's what we do. We look at our 401ks. We look at our IRAs, our investments, right? And so we look at these things and and we think, should I, should I, make withdrawals and stop investing my money in my IRA or my 401k? Should I stop because it's not going to give me the return? That it, and worry is a powerful emotion in, in, the, in the human psyche, right? It, worry is the seed of fear. And if, you, if you've never experienced, I mean, if, you, if you've experienced fear, you know how powerful fear can be. I mean, it can just take control of your whole your whole thought process, right? And when it comes to making internal, I'm sorry, eternal investments, it's often, worry is often what drives people back to mammon and away from God. Worry causes us to make withdrawals from our eternal investments. Jesus was anticipating what people would struggle with when they hear this exhortation from him. He's imagining that that people might think, if I put God first, and if I invest eternally, then I'm going to be poor and and naked and homeless. And Jesus speaks proactively to the crowd, and he says, listen, don't give in to worry. Don't walk in fear and worry. He says, you've got to walk in faith and believe that you serve a heavenly Father who cares about you. And that when you put Him first in your life and you trust in His principles, that He is going to be there. Hallelujah. And He will open the windows of heaven over your life. Right? He says, look at the birds, how God cares for them. Look at the, the lilies, how God cares for them. Jesus says, don't give in to worry. Don't let worry 
turn into fear and stop you, but have faith and know that God cares for you. So Jesus is encouraging them, continue to make eternal investments because one day you're going to move from this life into eternity. And you've got to provide some building materials for your mansion. Hello? Right? You heard the story of the guy who died and went to heaven, saw Peter at the pearly gates. I don't know if Peter waits for us there, and I don't even know if they're, that's the way it works. But anyway, he says, Peter says, you ready to go to your eternal reward? And he says, yes, Peter, I'm ready. I'm ready to go. So Peter takes him down the street, and they go, they go, they see this beautiful mansion made of marble. And the guy says, oh, is that my mansion? And Peter says, no, no, not that one. They go to the next one. They see a mansion. It's a little, it's big. It's not as big as the other ones made of granite, you know. And he's like, is that, is this, is no, not, not yet. We're not there yet. We're getting there, though. They go to the next one there, you know. It's just kind of, you know, it's just traditional stick built you know, with some lumber and whatnot. And he says, well, it's nice. Is that my mansion? No, that's not your mansion. Then they keep walking down, walking down, walking down. They go across the railroad tracks into a different part of the town, different part of the neighborhood, you know what I mean? And, uh, and then they see there's this little cardboard shack there, little cardboard shack, you know, some corrugated tin on the top there and a little smokestack coming out, you know. It's, a, you know, it's only about 20 feet by 20 feet or so. And, and Peter says, here it is. Here is your eternal place where you're going to spend eternity. And he says, this is all I get? Well, Peter said, well, you know, we, we tried to get you something bigger, but we could only work with the materials that you sent us. Right? Got to give him something to work with, amen? <laughs> yeah? Then in verse 33, Jesus says this. He says, after he talks about how God will provide, provides for the birds, provides for the lilies, and then he says this in verse 33, but, everybody say but. But means that there are promises from God, but the promises from God have conditions. Hello? But seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all these things, the birds of the air, the lilies, all these things that God provides shall be added to you. Last truth. Put God first and he will provide. Not only eternal investments, but earthly provisions. Amen? Seek God first and all these things will be added to you. So how do we do that? How do, we, how do we demonstrate that God is first in our lives? Well, this is what the Bible calls the tithe. Wait a minute, Pastor. You mean the whole time this was a tithing message? <laughs> the tithe. Everybody say the tithe. The word tithe means what? It means tenth. That's what it means. Returning the tenth, the tithe, to God is the biblical means that he has established to demonstrate that he is first in our lives. Deuteronomy 14.22 says the purpose of tithing is to teach you to put God first in your lives. Proverbs 3.9 says, Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your, your increase. Malachi 3.8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet you've robbed me. But you say, In what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings says, you're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this 
whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. What does that mean? Simply this. If you're not tithing, God is not first in your life. Now, you might say, well, wait, wait, Pastor. How can you say that? I love God. I serve in ministry. I worship. I sing songs unto the Lord. I witness. I tell people about my faith. All of that may be true, and all of that is good. But God has established what he considers as an acceptable expression of being first in your life, the tithe. Because where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. God's not after our money. He doesn't need our money. You know what he's after? Our hearts. He's looking for a genuine expression and demonstration that he's first in our lives. Right Now, personally, I thank God for tithing because it gives me that opportunity every week to show God that He is God over my life, over my, that He's Lord over my possessions, and that I trust Him to work all things together for the good in my life. See, for us, it's an act of worship. That's what tithing is. It's an act of worship that brings regular accountability into our worship to make sure that our worship is not just singing songs, Right? The highest expression of worship is not singing, clapping, jumping, dancing, or getting excited. The highest expression of worship is showing the Lord where our heart is by demonstrating it in our treasure, right? And so every week when we tithe, it's an act of rededication. That's what it is. It's an act of rededication, of resubmitting and saying, okay, you are still Lord of my life. You are still God, not just of me, but of everything, including my finances and my material, my material wealth, right? With that command to tithe comes the promise. God says, if you put in my hands the first part of your finances, then I will bless and bring increase to what remains in your hands. Right? Proverbs 3.10. Your barns will be filled with plenty. Your vats will overflow with new wine. Back to the birds and the lilies. Malachi 3.10. Try me. Test me in this. I'll open for you the windows of heaven, and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Amen? When we place the tenth, which is God's, back into his hands, we bring his blessing on the 90% that remains in our hands. Amen? And I don't know about you, but I would much rather have 90% that is blessed than 100% that is not blessed. Yes? Amen? And understand this. It doesn't become the tithe when we decide to give it. It It's the tithe as soon as we receive the income into our hands. God puts it in our hands, right? And he sees that tenth, he sees it in our hands as his own. And what he says is, now I want you to bring that tenth that I've put in your hands to me and offer it to me as a demonstration of your submission to my lordship over your lives. So that's why Malachi says that we rob God when we hold the tithe. Right? Because we're, robbing, we're keeping from God what he has designated as his in our lives. How many are getting this? Amen? Right? Okay. Now again, don't allow your eye to perceive what I'm saying to you in the wrong light. This is biblical truth to align ourselves with the will of God for our lives and to bring ourselves under his blessing and to make investments for eternity. Amen? Yeah? And it's not just the tithe... Not just the tithe that God calls us to surrender, He also calls us to give offerings. 
Malachi 3.8 says, you've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Right? Understand this. Tithing, we understand we're called to give, right? Given it shall be given unto you. We understand that. Tithing is not giving. Because the tithe is already God's. We, we don't give God a tithe and call it a gift or an offering. It's already his. That's like me borrowing 20 bucks from you and then coming back the next day, paying you back the 20 bucks and say, here, I want, I'm feeling generous today. I want to give you a gift. Here's $20. No, no, no. The $20 is already yours. Hello? Amen? Right? Giving does not occur until we give over and above the tithe out of that 90%, which is ours. How many are following that? Amen? Does that make sense? This is what we call the offering. Okay? And, and this is what we offer out of our wealth as a gift unto God. Now, next Sunday is Vision Sunday, and we're going to provide an opportunity for you to practice, for all of us to practice what I'm talking about today, to invest in eternity by laying up our treasures in heaven. So as I mentioned earlier, we are asking everyone to come with their, their pledge cards and their uh, commitment offering to bring that to the Lord as an expression to support the vision that God has given us to build. You're going to be hearing more about that um, uh, next Sunday and throughout the week. We'll be doing some mailings and some social, some social media. But remember this, that the, the pledge is not the tithe. Hello? Okay? The pledge is not the tithe. The pledge is over and above the tenth. The tenth is God's, Right? which goes into the storehouse, that there may be food. Okay, the tithe, you know, helps pay for the lights and the heat. How many like to have heat when they come to church? How many like having lights on when they come to church? Yes, amen, okay. The tithe is for all that stuff, okay. The offerings help us to go beyond that, right. So as you're considering this week, your pledge for Vision Sunday, um, uh, be in prayer for that. And, uh, and what we receive in pledges will help us go primarily to uh, paying down our mortgage so that we can move into the next phase of our vision, which is construction. Amen? Amen. What are we talking about today? We are talking about our treasures in heaven. Amen? Let's stand together. Our treasures in heaven. We can have the worship team come on up here. Father, we're so thankful, Lord God, that you provide us with these truths, very practical truths, Lord. We live in a, in a materialistic world, and we thank you, Lord, for these truths that are both spiritual and practical, that help us, Lord, to keep our material concerns in perspective. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that if there are any here that struggle with these concepts, that you'll provide the grace, God you'll provide the grace, that you'll help us, Lord, through your spirit to understand the truths of your word. And I pray, God, that this week, as we are all considering Vision Sunday and our part in that vision, Lord, I pray that you will speak to the hearts of each member of our church, each person of our church, just as you've spoken to my wife and me about our pledge and about our part in that vision, that you'll speak to everyone in our church. Have your way, Lord. Have your way. Amen, church? Amen, amen, amen. We're going to close the service, but I want to do that as we open the altars. So I'm going to ask our prayer, our prayer workers to come on up. I know that, that there are some...
folks going through some really, really difficult challenges right now in their homes, in their families, physically, financially. This is a time where we need to come together and pray for one another. If you're here today as we dismiss the service, I want to encourage you that as people are leaving the sanctuary, don't be in a rush. Don't be in a hurry. Come on up here. There are people here that want to pray for you. We want to pray for you and your kids. You got prodigal kids? We believe the Lord wants to bring the prodigals home. Amen? We believe that, but we got to pray, right? You need physical healing in your body or someone in your life that you're concerned about? We believe that he's a prayer answering God. He's Jehovah Rapha that heals our bodies. Amen? So come on up and get prayed for. Whatever your need is, he's the God who meets all of our needs. So, Lord, bless us as we go. Those that need to depart, we pray your blessing on each one, Lord. And for those that gather at the altar here, Holy Spirit, come. Minister. Work miracles. Change hearts. Do your work in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You are.